So one of the things that the Bible clearly teaches, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, first couple chapters of the Bible, it says unequivocally that man, human beings, are created in the image of God. That every person that's ever been born has the image of God, a mark of God. They belong in a sense, to God. They are part of God's creation. In the New Testament, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Right? And the second one is like it. It's like the first. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you put those two commands together, those two truths that are taught in Scripture, that mankind, humankind, is created in the image of God, that our, our Jesus boiled down the law into loving God and loving each other for the... There can be no room for overlooking or thinking better it, it, there just is no room for it in scripture that is you don't have to look any further now the reason i'm bringing that up is because the passage we're going to look at this weekend peter deals with the relationship between masters and slaves and we're going to talk a little bit about that because when we come to a passage like that especially when we're reading the bible we go Okay, um, I don't like that, and it bothers me that there was slavery in the Old Testament, and we take our, our own contemporary idea of slavery, and we read it back into first century Rome, and we don't like what we see. So all that to say that the Bible clearly teaches that there's no person that has ever been born, there's no person that you've ever met, there's no person that you've ever seen that is inferior, that is, that is not, that doesn't deserve love and respect because they bear the image of God and because we as Christians are called to love our neighbor as ourself. So let's look at the passage. This is First uh, Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. And uh, we're going to go down from verse 13 to verse 25. You might want to follow along. Um, let me start reading at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that you do good. You should side, excuse me, let me try that again. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now remember, Paul's writing in the days where the emperor was a Roman emperor. And then he comes to this passage that I referred to. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters 
not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Well, there's two issues that I want to just touch base with uh, for a minute here as we get into the passage. The first one is I want to talk a little bit about slavery in the New Testament. There are many critics, critics of Christianity who wrongly assume that the Bible endorses slavery. And they would come to a passage like this and see, there you go, right? There it is. Uh, there it is. Peter is uh, endorsing this whole master-slave relationship. In truth, Christians who were moved by the teachings of Scripture, two of them I just mentioned to you, the creation narrative and also the, the two commands that Jesus gave and other passages, came to a conclusion that the institute of slavery was wrong. And many revivals broke out first in England and then in America, which began to dismantle slavery. Now, that's not to say that that some Christians uh, in America and some churches in America basically approved of and supported slavery. It was a, it was a huge institution in America. And, and many churches and many uh, regions of the country, Christian regions of the country, held on strongly to slavery. Um, but slavery in America is vastly different than New Testament slavery. Very, very different. For example, uh, in the Roman Empire during the first century, slaves often were well-educated. They often worked as tutors of, the chil of children, and some were even physicians. Many people worked, were involved in, in probably a better way to describe the situation in first century Rome is indentured servanthood. And what that meant was that many times when you, when you got into debt and you had to pay your debt off, you, you couldn't, you know, you can't today we can, we can declare bankruptcy. Well, in that day you couldn't declare bankruptcy. You had to pay your debt off. So you'd become a servant in a household and you would be there until you paid off your, your debt. By the way, the Bible set a limitation of seven years so that even if you didn't pay it off in seven years, you were free to go. The point is, many people worked off their debt as a, a form of uh, uh, slavery. And the other thing you have to understand is slavery was an accepted institution in that day. It was very common. And by the way, all cultures of the world has has had this. This, is, this has been a common practice 
in all cultures. It doesn't make it right just to say that it's not. What I'm saying here is uh, sometimes Christians feel like they're on their back heels because they have to defend what Scripture says. Scripture is describing what is going on in the first century. And some people would say, well, well, wait a minute. Why, why didn't Jesus, why didn't Paul, why didn't Peter overthrow this, this, uh, this uh, institution of slavery? Because the problem isn't the institution, the problem is the people. Think about that for a minute. Jesus came to change people's hearts. Nothing changes until people's hearts change. And, and when we see the change that happened in in, in England and then in the United States, that began because people, Christians, saw the Scriptures, understood the, the mandate from Genesis, understood the teachings of the Scripture, and saw that the institution of, of slavery was wrong. And, and that spread to America. And the same thing, it was energized by the Scripture. In other words, people's hearts turned, and because of that, the institution turned. So Jesus didn't come to turn an institution. Paul wasn't preaching to turn an institution. He came to bring the gospel. And the gospel changes hearts. And when hearts change, institutions change. Paul says this in Galatians. This is 3.28. He says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. This was... Uh, an incredible statement for Paul to make in first century Rome. Incredible. But the only way to change our world is for good, the good news to change people's hearts. All right, so the other thing I want to talk about in our passage is that Peter is telling us, and Paul will say it in other places, we'll look at a scripture in a minute, that God has set up human authority. That God is behind human authority. God is behind kings and rulers and emperors. That's his point. Peter says, you need to pray for the emperor. This <laughs> Roman emperor, right? So some say, though, there is no God and therefore there is only human authority. So what are we to do with that? Maybe you have friends or neighbors who feel that way. They say, well, I don't believe in God, and, and I don't believe God is behind human authority. I don't believe that. And uh, here's the problem with that view. If there is no human authority, then any dictator, any ruler, any emperor, any king, any president can do whatever they want without any, any accountability, without any judgment, without any... They could just do whatever they want. We've seen signs of that. We've seen examples of that. For example, in Nazi Germany, they came to believe that to exterminate Jews was perfectly all right. Now, the rest of the world was, it, it was, in awe, was aghast of it. They were shocked by it. Uh, many of them, many of the world, when they went into these camps and they saw what was going on, they were just, they couldn't believe it. But that's what happens. Now, some would come back and say, ah, 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 now, now you've, you've got a problem here because how could a good God allow somebody like Hitler or Pol Pot or Stalin or Lenin to exterminate so many millions of people? How, 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 how? 
here's the, here's the point. If there's no God-ordained authority, then there's no accountability. And you actually, let me give you three things that are really important to answer that question, because I think it's a legitimate question. How could God allow evil rulers, because essentially that's what the passage that we're looking at is talking about. It's saying, what do you do when you have a bad boss? When you have an incompetent leader? When you have somebody that you don't respect, what do you do then? Okay, that's really what he's talking about. Well, I'll give you three answers for why doesn't, how can you say that you still believe in God when there's been all these evil rulers in the world? How do you deal with that? Let me give you three points that I think are important. Number one, if you dismiss God, you have no basis of calling anything good or evil. I mean, who, who are we to say that Hitler or Pol Pot or, or Stalin or Lenin were wrong? We have no basis for morality. We have no reason to call that right or wrong. It is what it is, survival of the fittest, right? You know, so clearly, uh, you, you can't judge them. But the second point is, just because God allows evil to flourish, to exist for a period of time, doesn't mean that he's good with it. <laughs> See, God is on a different timetable than we are. We want some, something done now, today, forever, you know. And, and God is on a different timetable. He's playing the long game. God is playing the long game. And that's very different than what we often think. So let me give you an illustration. I was watching some of the protesters out west. I don't know if it was Seattle or where it was. But I saw this... Uh, one protester, and he was in the face of a, a big police officer. And he was, I can't even begin to say what he was saying to this police officer. And he was shouting in his face. I mean, he was literally about this far away. Well, he was really going like this because he was small. And he was shouting explicatives and swearing and cussing. And this went on for I mean, I got tired of it after about 30 seconds, and, but it went on and on and on, and I went, it must have gone on for 10 minutes. And you know what was going through my head the whole time? This police officer could at any moment snap this guy in half, but he didn't because there was something bigger going on there. Is it possible that God does the same thing? Is it possible that maybe God is withholding judgment and wrath? Here's the third thing, and, and, and this, is, this is important for us to hear. The third thing is, if there's no God, then there's no final judgment. That all these dictators have gotten off scot-free. All the people they've killed, there'll, there'll be no justice for them. All the Jews that have exterminated, all the families that cried out, there's no justice. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there's going to be a day where God is going to gather all the rulers, all the leaders, all the evil people, and they will stand before him and they will give an account for all their evil deeds. And there will be one final judgment. Now, that's what the Scripture te teaches. Here's the principle, though, that the New Testament teaches, and this is really for us. Let me read it to you. Human authority is not something that takes our freedom away, 
But when it's properly exercised, it creates freedom for all people. Here's our theme for today. Our theme comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says this, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Notice the word he uses here. Doulos is the word slave. He uses, he's using that word a lot here. Submit is used a lot here in this passage. Submit and slave is used a lot in this passage. So the point here is, as Christians, we're free to be his slaves. That's really what it comes down to. Now, we, we soften it, and we, we, as Christians, we're free to be his servants, but essentially it's the word doulos, which means slave. All right, so here's the question that we want to talk about for the rest of our time together. How should we respond when we have a bad boss? What do you do when you have somebody who's over you? It could be an employment situation. It could be a governmental situation. It could be a family situation. What do you do when you have a boss who's not really very good, not very nice, not very moral? Well, let's talk about that. There's four things. Number one, very clearly, Peter says, you need to honor and obey a godless boss. Notice what he says. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the, to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence ignorant talk of foolish people. So Peter then goes on to talk about this master-slave relationship. So he's really going through a section that are, you'll see it in Ephesians 5 and 6. And it's called the household code. And basically it's where Paul, Peter and Paul are addressing family or household situations. So they talk about the kind of this master slave which was really kind of an indentured service it's a kind of the workplace they'll talk about the husband wife relationship by the way mark's going to talk about that next weekend because we're in that section and then in ephesians paul talks about the parent child relationship so these are the relationships so essentially peter's saying what do you do when you have somebody who's over you in one of these relationships and they're not very good or kind or decent or moral what do you do well the first thing is you need to honor and obey See, the master-slave relationship Peter's referring to has similarities to our workplace environment of the boss-employee. But what do you do when you have a bad boss? He says, Paul says this in Colossians, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Some of you, when you go into work, you don't like your company, you don't like your boss, you don't like your job, and you, you have a bad attitude, and what you need to do is you need to go in and say, I'm not clocking in for my boss or my company. I'm clocking in today for God. I work for Him. He goes on to say this, Paul does, since as you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
Well, it changes everything in a husband-wife relationship, in a parent-child relationship, in a boss-employee relationship. When you realize that God has, for some reason, put you on the low end there, that you are obeying or showing respect to this person who maybe doesn't deserve it, but you're showing it out of respect for the Lord. And that changes things, doesn't it? All too often, we're looking at the person just above and not to the ultimate person who's on the top. Peter's point is you're obeying God and not your boss. As you show honor to your bad boss, you show honor to God. Now, let me clarify a little bit because it's really important we hear this. When, when I say honor, I mean uh, that you treat them with dignity and respect. Um, even if they don't treat you that way. In other words, when you have a bad boss... Um, you don't give it back to them. You treat them with dignity and respect, even though you may not get it from them. Um, did you know that you can show respect for somebody who doesn't de deserve respect? You can. And, Peter, and I think what Peter's saying is, you should. <laughs> I think that's the point. I think he's saying that as Christians, we should show respect for people who don't deserve our respect. And that's the hard thing for us to, to, to uh, uh, you could show respect for people you don't approve of. You don't have to approve of their lifestyle or things, but you can show them respect. You can treat them with dignity. You can be a nice person to them. You see, remember, our goal is not to destroy our enemies. Too often, Christians get into this idea that if they don't believe like we do, they're the enemy. And if they're the enemy, then we, our goal is to destroy them. No, I don't get that from Scripture. Our goal is not to destroy our enemy. It's to win them over with the gospel, isn't it? Well, how are we going to do that? Can you imagine what it's like, what it would be like for somebody who is disrespectful to see respect and to see you treating them with dignity and respect, even though they don't treat you that way? That's going to have an effect on them. You know, too many Christians want to make people on the other side the enemy, and that's a problem. Now, let's be clear. It's perfectly okay to challenge a person's position. That's perfectly okay. But it's not okay to destroy the person. And I think that's where too many of us are crossing the line as Christians. That we're not just, uh, we're not just challenging their point. We're attacking the person. We're attacking their motives. We're attacking their person, uh, their personhood. And I think that's where we go too far. All right. Here's the second thing. You don't need to compromise your beliefs. You don't need to compromise your beliefs. So I want to read you a passage, but let me give you the context. This is from Acts chapter 4. The context is Peter and John are out now. The day of Pentecost has taken place. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and now they're out preaching the gospel. Wind comes to the religious leaders that they're out there preaching the gospel, and people are beginning to listen and follow them. They're concerned. So they bring Peter and John in, and they essentially say to them, you guys need to knock it off. This is what Peter and John, this is their interaction with the religious leaders. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. 
You be the judges. As for us, we cannot speak about what we, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, we respectfully decline your command because you're not the ultimate boss here in this situation. The point is that when we're asked to do something illegal or immoral, we must always decline. Now, here's what I'm finding sometimes, that Christians are willing to do things that are immoral or illegal because they're afraid they're going to lose their job. And absolutely understand that, but here's what I'm I'm, I'm questioning. If you believe that God is sovereign, and if you believe that God is going to honor you because you do the right thing, then it means that sometimes you're going to have to respectfully disagree with your boss. And you're going to say, I can't do that. I can't in good conscience do that. Even if it means you have to fire me, I can't do that. The question is, can we trust God when we do the right thing? Now, let me give you another example. This is found in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and he's somebody's talked him into creating this huge statue, and he says to uh, the whole kingdom, uh, and it's all basically, they're all the, the, uh, the people around Nebuchadnezzar, the magicians and the all the religious people around Nebuchadnezzar don't like Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they found a way. They know that they'll never bow down to the statue. So they get, they talk the king into building the statue and then they catch them not bowing down. They bring him before the king and Nebuchadnezzar says, you, you need to bow down to the statue. And this is what happens. Daniel chapter three, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing uh, furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this next phrase. I have it underlined in most of my Bibles. But even if he does not even if he doesn't save us from the fiery furnace, even if this means this is it, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Do you see this? There is a line that you cannot cross if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the amazing thing is God honored them. <laughs> And Nebuchadnezzar peeks in and he says, hey, didn't we throw three in the furnace? Looks like there's four. And one of them looks like the son of man. Do you remember Jesus? One of his favorite names was the son of man. All right, here's the third thing. You may need to come up with a creative solution. Sometimes you're in a difficult situation. You say, okay, what do I do now? And we often think that we either do this or that. And what I'm saying is maybe there's something creative here that we can come up with. Again, from the book of Daniel, we have something similar to that. Daniel is a young man. He has uh, been brought to Babylon and 
basically going to be schooled in the, in the teachings of the Babylonian kingdom. And now he's going to be put on the diet of the Babylonian kingdom, which many of the foods would be unclean to a good Jewish boy, Hebrew boy. And so instead of just going and doing that, he feels his conscience, in his conscience he can't do this. So he comes up with a solution. It's very creative. It's found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's before their names were changed by Nebuchadnezzar, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance to what that of the young men who eat at the royal, eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested him for 10 days. Well, you know, if you've read the book, you've know the end of the story that they, the, the, this, this servant, this guard found that Daniel and his friends were much more healthy and robust than the rest who were eating all the other food. And so they basically put everyone else on that diet. Here's the point, though. It was a creative solution. And uh, there's maybe more than just this way or that way. There may be a third way. And so sometimes it's okay. Uh, it's even wise and thoughtful to push back. But remember, do it respectfully. Sometimes there might be a third point. And so this is where we need to pray for God's wisdom, right? That we come up with a, a, with a good solution, right? And this is how we deal with a bad boss, right? All right, let me give you one more. You will sometimes face impossible situations. So what do you do then? Timothy says this, first Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then, first, all, first of all, that petitions and prayer, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So Paul urges us to pray for those in authority over us. Sometimes you're faced with an impossible situation. How are you doing in praying for those in authority over you? For our local leaders, our governor, our president, the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court. Are you praying for them? Well, let me ask you a little bit. What happens when in November we elect maybe the same president or a new president? What are you going to do then? Uh, will you pray for them? It's getting quiet here. I don't know how it is in your home right now. Will you treat them with dignity and respect? No matter who wins. Whether it's uh, President Trump or might be President Biden. Would you, will, you, will you not only pray for them, but will you treat them with dignity and respect? If you're an obedient, mature Christian, you must. He says pray for the rulers. Show them respect. He say, okay, now that's where the rubber's really meeting the road for me. 
Because I have a hard time with that. Right? Are you thinking that way? This is the implication of what we're talking about. That you don't get to just malign people and, and, and whatever you think. When you have a bad boss, when you have a bad leader, whoever that is, whatever party they're from, you don't get to throw bombs at them if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're called to be gracious. And listen, I'm, a, I'm convicting myself right now. But Scripture will not allow you. If you're going to be a baby Christian most of your life and you're going to continue that way, that's probably what you'll do. But if you say, no, I want to grow up, I want to be mature, Peter is basically saying, if you are going to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ, you treat the bad boss with dignity and respect even though you don't like them. Even though you disagree with them. Notice what uh, Paul says in Romans. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then he goes on to say this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there are some people on this planet that you cannot live at peace with. That's essentially what this passage is saying. As far as it is with you, live at peace. That means that there are people that you can't live at peace with because they won't let you. There are some people that you have to keep at arm's length because when you bring them close to you, you get burned. People have, you have some of those relationships in your, I do. You have to keep them at arm's length. I'm okay with keeping them at arm's length because I know that I'm going to get burned if I bring them in close. There are other people that I have no wall up. I have no reason not to have a relationship, but they have a wall up. And I can't pull their wall down. There's two sides of every relationship. What basically Paul's saying, make sure that your side isn't the one that's keeping the relationship from happening. Live at peace. Now, you're only one side of the bridge. And what you need to do is pray for yourself, your attitude in this whole thing. But also pray for the other person, that God would work in their heart. And that there could be this breaking, breaking down of walls and coming together. Here's the good thing. We may be only one side of the bridge, but we have a God who is a bridge builder, right? God that can turn hearts and change things. So... How do you deal with a bad boss? Well, carefully, respectfully, thoughtfully. It's not easy. But it, if you're going to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ, it's absolutely necessary. It's not an option. It's where the rubber meets the road. Let's pray. Father, help us because without your spirit, without your, your um, help in our lives without your power we can't do what, what, what i've just talked about it's easy for us father to fall in the current of our culture and to be just to, to float along with it but this message and what your word is challenging us to do today is to go against the current 
to be different than the rest of the world, to show grace where maybe grace isn't deserved. But if we think of our own lives, Father, grace wasn't deserved there either. Christ died while we were still sinners. When we have a bad boss, Father, we need to remember that we can still, even if we don't respect them, we can show them respect. Even though we don't agree with their decisions and maybe things that are going on in their life, we can still treat them with dignity and respect. Help us, Father, to take whatever step we need to take. And uh, Father, I would ask that you would work in our hearts in the one area that your spirit has been maybe pointing out that we've allowed to get out of control. Help us to grow up, Father, into maturity to become more like Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, next weekend, Mark's going to pick up on that this household code, the relationship between husbands and wives. So I hope you'll join us. God bless you. Have a great week.